This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We want to uh, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and the third chapter. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. And just first three verses only. Paul said, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Amen. Paul had a tremendous love for the Corinthian church. It was a church that he had founded on his first, uh, sorry, on his second missionary journey. He had spent 18 months uh, in Corinth, founded this great church, and uh, his apostolic ministry, of course, would mean that uh, he would have to move on and uh, plant other churches, get people saved and grow a church, and then he would teach them for a while, and then he would move on, put people in his place. Uh, that was his ministry. But he was in Ephesus for about three years. He had a great work there to do. But while he was there, he was receiving reports about this church at Corinth, uh, that there was all kinds of uh, divisions in the church and immorality and practical and doctrinal issues were arising and abuses. And the result was the whole church was being torn apart. And so he, he writes this first letter uh, as a pastoral letter uh, to the church at Corinth to try to resolve those issues that were uh, being highlighted. Second Corinthians, where we read from, was written because of the partial success of the first letter uh, it worked up to a point. The majority of people listened to it, uh, welcomed it, did something about it. But there was a minority who had the opposite, uh, did the opposite. And uh, there was this faction, and it was a pretty strong faction with pretty strong leaders. And this faction, these other leaders that had come into this church in his absence, they came with great letters of commendation, great letters of recommendation, in other words, references. And uh, uh, these were something that seemed very, very impressive to the Corinthians. And the Apostle Paul, believe it or not, they were asking him for his letters of recommendation and commendation. I mean, can you believe that? He's only been away three years. And these other men came in with these great glowing letters, and they were so taken by that that when Paul contacted them, they said, well, what about your letters? Uh, who would recommend you to us? Now, you have to understand that in those days, if, if people left a church and moved on to another church, maybe they left Philippi, moved to Colossae, wherever, uh, then, generally speaking, they would get a letter of commendation, a letter to say, this person is in good standing. Please receive them into your fellowship. 
Or if you're an itinerant preacher, it would be good to have some letter of recommendation that this person's genuine and they're good and receive them also into your fellowship. But the Apostle Paul, I mean, this is unbelievable that they were asking him for a letter. And Paul says, I don't need it. You are my letter. You are my epistle. I mean, this is the church that he founded. These were the people that he could saved. So he says, you are my letters of commendation. You are the living proof of my apostleship. You are living letters. You're open and read of all men. Now, there's a sobering thought, isn't it? Think about that about yourself. You are a living letter, open and read of all men. Whenever the world wants to know about the church, wants to know about the Bible, they neither go to church or read the Bible, they look at you and they look at me. That's their first point of contact. Before they ever set foot in the church, before they ever open a Bible, they look at us. They look at a Christian. And what do they see when they look at a Christian? Because that's how they will form their opinion of Christ and of the Scriptures and of church. That's why Paul says, you are a living epistle. Christ was God's living message to lost and a dying world. He was God's truth incarnate embodied in a person. He was God's living letter to the whole world, open and read of all men. Christ said he was the light of the world. But Christ also said that we are the light of the world also. So Christ was God's living letter to this world, but you too are God's living letter to this world. He's gone back to the glory, but he's left us to be his living testimony to this world that we live in. And so the reality is we are walking living sermons. What are we saying to the world around us? What do they see? What do they hear when they watch and they listen to us? Because whether we like it or not, whether we even think about it or not, we truly are living letters. We are God's epistles to the world that we live around. Somebody said if you were accused in court of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Ha, hmm. Hebrews 11.5 said, Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. That's a great testimony, isn't it? You couldn't do much better than that. If your whole life was lived and your testimony at the end of it, if the epitaph on your gravestone was, he pleased God, I think that would be good, wouldn't it? That would be good to have. The disciples had this testimony, the Bible says, that they had been with Jesus. Something of Christ had rubbed off onto them. In Acts chapter 6, sorry, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 6 and 7 is that long passage of Scripture regarding uh, the martyrdom of Stephen. And in Acts 7, verse 54, after he had told them that they had been betrayers and murderers, 
of Christ. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen And as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And they laid his clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus would never be the same after that moment. He had persecuted many, and he would continue for another while to persecute more. But at that moment, he never had ever seen or heard anything like Stephen. And the fact that Stephen asked forgiveness for those who stoned him (coughs) impacted this man. Yes, if you read the very first verse of the next chapter, he was breathing out threatening and slaughter. He was putting men and women in prison. He was going as far as Damascus to do that. But something had changed in spite of it. Why? Because his conscience had been pricked. And when Jesus met him on that road to Damascus, Saul saw, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. His conscience was pricked, and he was kicking against it. But that was the moment. That was the hour when his life began to change. And on that road to Damascus, he met Christ. Stephen was a living letter, openly read by Saul of Tarsus, and he couldn't forget it. We are living letters of Christ. Paul may have been the scribe that dictated the message of the gospel into the heart of the Corinthians, but Paul, sorry, but Christ was the author. It was his gospel. It was his life. It was his death. It was his cross. He was the author. And we're just the messengers. We have just got his message to talk about and to share and to live out before this world. Paul says, for you were bought with a price Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He said in 1 Corinthians 3.23, you are Christ and Christ is God's. Colossians 3 and 4, Christ who is our life. He's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning, he's the end. He's the author, he's the finisher of our faith. He is everything. And we are his messengers. We are his living epistles. We're living letters written by others. Paul says, you are my letters. (laughs) I preach the gospel, and it's written in your hearts, so you're my letters. Somebody somewhere made an impression on each of us. We read somebody's life. Somebody's life was an open letter. Even if they didn't realize it, it was. 
Now, it might have been a parent, it might have been a grandparent, it might have been somebody that you work with, a colleague, or a neighbor, or somebody in an extended family, somebody in her school or university. But somebody somewhere impressed us. Somebody somewhere spoke to us, even sometimes without words, just by how they lived out their Christian life. It touched us. We read that in their lives. The poet Longfellow wrote these words. He says, Tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints in the sand of time. So as we pass through this life, we are, we're leaving a footprint. Somebody is watching us. Somebody's listening to us. It may be from afar. It may be across the factory floor, but they're watching and they're listening. But what are we saying? What is our life saying? What are they reading when they read our life story? What do they see? What do they hear? That's the big question, isn't it? In the summer of 1805, a number of Indian chiefs and warriors met in council at Buffalo Creek, New York. They had gone to hear a presentation of the Christian message by a Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society. And after the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket, one of the leading chiefs. Among other things, the chief said, Brother, you say that there is but one way to worship and serve the Great Spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree, as you can all read the same book? Then he said, Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will consider again what you have said. <laughs> In other words, very good, Mr. Cram, but we'll give it a wee bit of space just to see, does it really work? Does it make a change? And that's what people are looking at us and saying, have they changed? Are they different? And when they see we have changed and we are different, then they want to know more about us. But if they look at us and we're professing Christ, but we're not changed, we're making no difference, no difference in our lives, we have lost them. We have no right even to speak to them. They will have no confidence in anything we say. Warren Webster, a missionary, served 15 years in Pakistan. He said, if I had my life to live over again, I would live it to change the lives of people. Because if you have not, cha you have not changed anything, until you have changed the lives of people. Isn't that the truth? You have not changed anything until you've changed the lives of people. Somewhere in this journey, this Christian journey we are making, somewhere we influence somebody, or at least we ought to. Somewhere we touch their lives to some degree for good. Somewhere we make a difference to somebody. I know in my life, before I became a believer, there were certain people who I looked to and listened to and respected 
because I knew that they were living the life. Not only were they talking the talk, but they were walking the walk. And so that earned my respect to listen to them. And to one degree or other, they all influenced me to come to that decision to follow Christ. And my guess is that most of us were exactly the same. Somebody somewhere, or maybe somebody's, a number of people in our journey, each had an effect on us. One of the stories that I love, it's one of the best stories, is about a young boy called Teddy Stallard. And I read this story to you before, but it's worth reading again because I think it's beautiful and it's so <coughs> apropos to this message. Teddy Stallard certainly qualified as one of the least. Disinterested in school, musty, wrinkled clothes, hair never combed. One of those kids in school with a deadpan face, expressionless, sort of a glassy, unfocused stare. And when Miss Thompson spoke to Teddy, he always answered in just one-word answers. Unattractive, unmotivated, distant. He was just plain hard to like. And even though his teacher said that she loved all in her class the same, but down inside she wasn't being completely truthful. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse pleasure in putting axes next to the wrong answers. And when she put F's at the top of the paper, she always did it with a flare. She should have known better. She had Teddy's records, and she knew more about him than she wanted to admit. The records read, first grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. Mother is seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy is a good boy, but too serious. He is a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy is very slow, but he's well behaved. His father shows no interest. And so Christmas came and the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class, they brought her Christmas presents. They piled her presents on her desk and crowded around to watch her open them. And among the presents was one from Teddy Stallard. She was surprised that he had brought her a gift, but he had. Teddy's gift was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. On the paper were written these simple words, For Miss Thompson from Teddy. And when she opened Teddy's present, out fell a, a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk over Teddy's gift. But Miss Thompson at least had enough sense to silence them by immediately putting on the bracelet and putting on some of the perfume on her wrist and holding her wrist up for the other children to smell. She said, doesn't it smell lovely? And the other children, taking their cues from the teacher, readily agreed with oohs and ahs. At the end of the day, when school was over and the other children had left, Teddy lingered behind. He slowly came over to her desk and he said softly, Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you, you just smell like my mother. And her bracelet looks real pretty on you too. I'm glad you like my presence. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her. The next day when the children came to school, they were welcomed by a new teacher. 
Miss Thompson had become a different person. She was no longer just a teacher. She had become an agent of God. She was now a person committed to loving her children and doing things for them that would live on after her. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones and especially Teddy Stallard. By the end of that school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He had caught up with most of the students and even was ahead of some. She didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. And then one day she received a note that read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stallard. Four years later, another note came. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stallard. Four years more later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, MD. How about that? <laughs> I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, 27 to be exact. And I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat were she alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stallard. Miss Thompson went to that wedding and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. She deserved to sit there. She had done something for Teddy that he could never forget. Isn't that a lovely story? It's a true story. We are living letters written by others. I wonder who your life's affecting right now, today. I wonder if there's somebody in your job or a neighbor or a loved one. I remember somebody who used to come here years and years and years ago. And every neighbor he lived beside, he ride with. Every neighbor. I remember taking him aside one time to try to talk sense into him. Tell you the truth, I felt like slapping him, but <laughs> had to be sanctified about it. I sat him down and said, why? Why every neighbor you end up riding, riding and fighting with? <coughs> Oh, well, they did this and they said, I said, holy minute, what about your testimony? What about your testimony for Christ? What are you saying? They're looking at you, they're listening to you, they're seeing your actions. What are they thinking about Jesus? What are they thinking about church? What are they thinking about the Bible when you're doing all this? Oh, well, 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 well. they never did change. Still at it to this day. Professing believer. Sad, isn't it? I wonder who you're affecting today. I wonder who's watching and listening. Is your influence, whether you even realize it or not, you're influencing people. So let's make sure the influence is good, that it is Christ-like. We're not perfect, I know that, but as best we can, make sure it's Christ-like. We're living letters written by others. We're living letters written within. Verse 2 says, in the heart. Verse 3 says, of the heart. The law of Moses was written on tablets of stone. Christ's message is written on the heart. The heart is the important place. In Hebrews chapter 10,
Verse 15 says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And Hebrews 9 Verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I know it's a cliche, but the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem, isn't it? All these so-called atheists. I don't believe there is a God. Yes, you do. And you know it. But you're denying it. Why are you denying it? Because the problem's not with your head, it's with your heart. There's enough evidence in this world to show you there is a God. Just by thinking, even logically. So the issue's not with your head, the issue is always with the heart. And oftentimes people are hiding a sin in their hearts and they do not want to change or give up that sin in their hearts and that lifestyle they're living. So atheism becomes a smokescreen to live how they want without any responsibility or any accountability. But the issue <coughs> is of the heart. If you believe in your heart, Paul says... And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. If you believe in your heart, not your head, but in your heart, in your innermost being, that's where the problem really, truly lies. And Christ has written his message in our hearts. What does Psalm 14 and 1 say? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Not in his head, in his heart, there is no God. But thank God his message is written in our hearts tonight. We're living letters written with the ink of the Spirit, verse 3. Natural ink fades when the subject has too much exposure, particularly inkjet printers. <laughs> Sally and I, whenever we uh, buy some things, it may be a, a washing machine or it may be a I don't know, an oven or something, you get a guarantee. Usually there's that one-year guarantee. If you want to get more, you can buy it. So we, we put it in with that folder. You get your stuff. You put the guarantee in there because you never know when you might need it. The trouble is sometimes when you do need it and you open it up, 
You know, you paid up your credit card. You pull out that credit card receipt and it's black. It's not, not. Things totally gone. I mean, it's just totally white. There's nothing there. And that's happened to us a few times. But it was the Holy Spirit. The ink of the Holy Spirit wrote in our hearts. And it's indelible. It will never fade away. Glory to God. But with the ink of the Spirit, and the more the message of Christ in our hearts is exposed to a lost and a dying world, the greater it becomes, and the brighter it becomes, and the clearer it becomes. I remember one time, many years ago, going to the Iron Hall in Belfast because I'd heard that Sidlow Baxter was coming to preach there and he was an old, old man. I think he was about 90 at the time and I went and I thoroughly enjoyed it because I've got most of his books and any Bible student worth their salt has got a Sidlow Baxter book in their library. He's an eloquent, tremendous Bible teacher for many, many years. And he said, he talked about his age. He says, I'll never be back to your country. He'd been many times, but he says, this is my last visit because of my age. I just can't travel anymore. He says, my day is coming soon to be with the Lord. And he was right. It was only about a year, two years later, he was gone. But he says, let me tell you something. He says, I've followed the Lord for all of these years, from just being a young man, all of these years. Now he's about 90. And he says, the older I get, the clearer he becomes, the dearer he becomes, and the nearer he becomes. And I thought, now there's a testimony. If God willing, we live to we're 90, could we say that about Jesus? The clearer he has become, the dearer he has become, and the nearer he has become. The message is written on our hearts, clearly. And a good thing it's for all to see. <laughs> if they're going to read the message of the gospel, they should be reading it in us. If they're going to see the life of Christ lived out in this life, it should be in us, shouldn't it? In our family, in our friends, our loved ones, our workmates, whatever, they need to look at us and see it in us. That's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge for me. It's the challenge for you every single day. But it's wonderful. Do you ever wonder what it would be like to read your own obituary? <laughs> that would be an eye-opener, wouldn't it? I've stood at many, many, many gravesides. I've buried many, many people, dozens and dozens and dozens. Some were dear, dear friends. Some I knew extremely well. Some I didn't know at all. I was asked to do it, did it. Didn't know anything about them other than the few facts their family gave to me. But one thing you'll discover at almost all funerals is uh, people will say very nice things. Whether they believe it or not, it's another thing, but they'll say very nice things because they want to be nice. Alfred Nobel was a very famous inventor. And one morning in 1888, he was the inventor of dynamite, the man who spent his life amassing a great fortune of money from the manufacture and sale of weapons. 
And he opened the paper one morning and his obituary was in it. And the reason being was it was printed as a result of, a, of an error. Some journalist in France heard about his brother dying and thought it was him and wrote about him. So Alfred Nobel opened it up and he was absolutely shocked when he read it. He was overwhelmed when he saw what the world really thought about him. He never thought about that really before. He was the big industrialist. He was a billionaire as it was. He had everything. He never really thought, what, I don't really care what the world thinks. But he did that day. Because the world saw him as the dynamite king, the weapon maker, the great industrialist who made a fortune from explosives. And as far as the general public was concerned, that's what he was. That was the entire purpose of his whole life, to make weapons of destruction and death and make a vast fortune from it. That's what the world thought of Alfred Nobel. So said his obituary. None of his true intentions were mentioned, which was to break down barriers that separated men and ideas. None of that was given any consideration whatsoever. He was quite simply, in the eyes of the public, a merchant of death, and for that alone, he would be remembered. And so when he read that, he was shocked, he was horrified, and he resolved at that moment to make clear to the world the true meaning and the true purpose of his life. And so he made his last will and testament to express his life's ideals. And that is why we have the Alfred Nobel Prize. The Alfred Nobel Peace Prize is one of the most sought-after prizes in the world today. It's one of the most famous ones to receive for somebody who has done something for world peace. The person who wrote this said, This caught my eye. I at times wonder how it would read if my obituary suddenly appeared. <laughs> And I ask you to entertain that frightful thought for a moment. What is your life known for? What will you be remembered for? Hmm. Sobering, isn't it? Hmm. Living epistles, open and read of all men. See, it's wonderful we can sit in here tonight and Sunday morning, Sunday night or whatever. We're all believers and we can worship the Lord. And, but once we go out that door, we're no longer in our comfort zone. Sure we're not. We're out in the real world out there. And what do they think about us out there? And that's the big question. But Christ's message is written in our hearts with the indelible ink of the Spirit. And if they can read that, if they can see that through what we say and what we do, they will have influenced them for Christ. You may never ever grace a pulpit. You may never ever have the opportunity or the gifting or the calling to do what I do. But as I said this morning, I can't walk into your office. I can't walk into your shop. I can't walk into your business. I can't walk into your school. I can't walk into your uni, but you're there. They're not looking at me there. They're looking at you there. So what is your message to them? What do they see? What do they hear? What do they say? 
let's believe, let's trust that as we go out into this week tomorrow, we go out into the real world tomorrow, that what they see and what they hear will influence them for Jesus. That something of Christ in us, the hope of glory, will touch their lives. Whether we work with children like Rebecca here, or whether we work with adults, or whether it doesn't matter what, we all have the opportunity to influence somebody for Christ, haven't we? You are my epistle, Paul says, open and read of all men. Glory to God. You're the message of Christ with two legs and two hands and two feet and lips and eyes to reach people for Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you have made us living sermons, walking messages, open and read of all men. So Lord, help our lives, our lives to be effective and influential to some degree, to the degree, Lord, that you have placed us in the place where we are so that we may touch somebody for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit residing in each of us, enabling, gifting, teaching, everything that he does in us and through us to influence others. Lord, even our close family circle, our brothers and sisters, our parents, our family, Lord, help us to live in such a way that they will know that there is a Christ that there is a living Savior, that they may be attracted to him through us. So we give you thanks for this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.